We are blazing through Romans here, and uh, we are here in chapter 8. And this, I, I will tell you, Romans 8 is, is probably uh, my favorite chapter in all the Bible. Uh, many, many people view chapter 8 really as encompassing the, the, the essence, if you will, of Christianity. If you want to know what it what it looks like to be a Christian, if you will, what it means, go to Romans 8. The essence of what it means to be a Christian, the essence of really everything that Paul has said up to this point is captured, and even what he will say is captured in Romans 8. And, and interestingly enough, what you see emphasized in Romans 8 is the Holy Spirit. Okay, unfortunately, especially in, in Baptist churches, probably one of the most least emphasized members of the Godhead, of the Trinity, and yet Paul emphasizes, and the rest of the New Testament writers emphasize, the Holy Spirit. He, the Holy Spirit is what is prominent here in chapter 8. And, and the word pneuma that we translate Holy Spirit occurs 21 times in this chapter. In 39 verses, the word Holy Spirit shows up 21 times, more than, more than once for every other verse. Paul, Paul can't get through two sentences, if you will, without going back to the role of the Holy Spirit in your life. Paul is going to focus on what the Holy Spirit... First, he's going to focus on the, the presence of the Holy Spirit. He's going to focus on the, and what that means. And the reality is in verse 9, he's saying the, the fact that you have the Spirit is the indicator that you are the child of God. He's going to talk about the blessings of, the, of possessing the Spirit, the, the Spirit's ministry on behalf of believers. He's going to stress that way, where the law was weak and what it could not do, verse 3, God did. The Spirit is strong. Where our flesh is weak, the Spirit is strong. And we'll get into this. I, I think there's a vast misunderstanding of the role of the Holy Spirit in your life. We have in many ways adopted this, okay, God, you've saved me. I'll take it from here mentality. No, that's not how we live. And the number one thing that we take away from this chapter, if you could leave here today with one word, one word resonating in your mind, and I believe it's one word that would immensely impact every single one of our lives on a daily basis, especially when we face trials, especially when we face heartache, especially when we face troubles, especially at times when it seems like God is distant. Listen, all of us in our lives have been there, will be there. The, the main thing that Paul deals with here, and it's the thing, again, that the that, that nothing else provides, no other religion, if you will, provides this. And it's the word assurance. Paul shows us in Romans 8, you see it there, your main point, the assurance that we have through the gospel of our standing before God as children of God through faith in Christ and the ongoing work of the Spirit in our lives. Assurance. We, we, we can know for sure that we belong to God. We can know for sure that our sins are forgiven. And, and that's a really a bold statement. It's a statement that no other religion of this world will offer. Hey, work hard enough and you might get there. Do enough good and you might appease the gods enough for them to forgive you. And Paul is saying, no, no. God himself, as we've seen it, the, the difference in Christianity is this. All other religions are, are asking you to try to make an offering good enough to appease the so-called gods in this world. And yet Christianity is saying, no, the one true God of this world made an offering satisfactorily on your behalf. That's the difference. God himself, the one true God, the God of this Bible, has made a satisfactory sin offering on your behalf. He's propitiated himself on your behalf. 2 Corinthians 5, 20 and 21 says, He made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin on your behalf. That, whosoever, that, that again, that, that 
you might become, anyone who believes in Jesus Christ might become the righteousness of God. Jesus took our sin, we get his righteousness. And, and, and look at verse 1. Paul, Paul, the verse we'll look at today, but I also want to look at the end. The, the, this idea of assurance bookmarks, or bookends rather, this entire chapter. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Assurance. Look at the end. Start in verse 37. But in all these things, and Paul has just gone through all these sufferings, though we're like a lamb led to the slaughter, all these things, famine, nakedness, peril, sword, persecution, tribulation, distress, all these things... The question in verse 35 will, what will separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus? And Paul goes through a whole laundry list of things that not only he's gone through, that not only you and I will go through. And in verse 37, here's his conclusion. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced, listen, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth. By the way, and I love the way Paul does it here, because if you stop there, you'd probably say, well, what about this? What about that? Paul says, nor any other created thing. Let me just say this at the end of this, nor any other created thing. So whatever, whatever you think you might dream of that could separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, we're going to catch it under nor any other created thing, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Beginning of the chapter, end of the chapter. What does Paul say? You can rest assured that your sins have been forgiven through Christ Jesus and through Christ Jesus alone. Paul's going to go to great lengths here to show us that our relationship to God is settled through faith in Christ. And so today, I, I want to I approach today a, a little bit differently. There's not, we don't have three or four truths, or, or I really want to focus on that assurance, and I really want us to understand why we can rest assured. And, and I want to pick apart the main, really, four, four words here that would have showed up to the original hearers, and I want us to to, uh, to grasp these here and not miss them, to understand the weight of them, to think about them. All right, and so you'll see there on your handout some blanks, and then there are some points underneath it. The first word, you can um, take a wild guess what the first word is we need to think about here. Therefore. Therefore. We, we've said time and time again that when you see the word therefore, you, you need to figure out what it is there for. And it always points to something that the writer has already said. Okay, Paul has built a case. All right, and starting in chapter 8, verse 1, he has brought it to a conclusion, if you will, of everything he has just said. And what he's saying is this, based on everything that I just told you from really from the beginning, but specifically here, Romans 3.20 to Romans 7.25. Let me sum it up in one statement. Therefore, what he's about to say is built upon everything that he, his entire argument. He is building everything upon the the, the salvation that alone is through the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. And, and the gospel and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ's work in the gospel is the therefore here. Please understand that. When he says therefore, he is essentially saying because of the gospel, because of the singular sufficiency of Jesus Christ, Christ and his work because because in Christ God was propitiated because Jesus Christ is a demonstration of the rights all of everything that he said and the gospel listen the gospel is the foundation what he's saying is the gospel is the foundation for our standing before God therefore we can rest assured it's not built on my works God laid all the condemnation due our sin on Jesus Christ as our substitute. God, through faith, then credits believers with 
his own righteousness. God justly declares believers to be righteous. Why? How? By removing their sin, placing it on Christ, having him die as a substitute, and replacing that sin with, with righteousness. Forgiven eternally. Psalm 103, 12, Therefore your sin is, is, has been separated from you as far as the east is from the west. Never to go back on it. And this is the, the, really the most important point that we grasp, that we can grasp, because again, unless we really, really grasp the gospel, unless we are really, really assured of the sufficiency of the gospel, we will not live in the assurance that Paul offers here. If we think it's 90% God, 10% us, 99% God, 1% us, you won't experience the, the assurance that Paul tells here. And, and, and if I were to sum it up, I would, I would go back, if I was going to try to help us to see it in, in just one or two verses, I would go back to Romans chapter 4, really verses 1 through 8. What shall we say then, that Abraham our forefather according to the flesh is found? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited, there's the word, credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but as what is due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. Understand the gospel. Because of the sufficiency of the gospel, you see it in your handout, that's why we can rest assured, because our assurance is built upon the character of God and His work and not our own. Listen, Paul already described you and I in Romans 7. I do what I don't want to do, and I don't do what I want to do. We're fickle. We're all over the board. And yet it is God alone whom there is no variation or shifting of shadows. It's God alone who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's God alone who says in 2 Corinthians 1.20, For as many as are the promises of God in Christ, they are and will be and forever will be, yes. Yes. This is the emphatic nature, really, of what you see when you see the word in Romans 8.1, therefore, it is concrete. When you say that to somebody, if you say something and you say, therefore, it's, that's concrete. What you're saying to them is stand firm. This is absolute. Why? Why can Paul say that? Because our salvation rests upon God and not ourselves. It rests upon the character of God. The whole point that Paul has made, and he, by the way, will continue to make in 9 through 11, is God is the one who doles out mercy as he sees fit. And, and we can rest assured because the, the, our salvation does not rest upon us, but upon God. And you see it in handout. Because of the certainty of God and his promises, we can be assured. Again, the certainty of God. Feel the weight there, the absoluteness of what Paul is saying here. I think if we were all honest, there is part of us that battles with the idea that our assurance rests at least partly on our own ability not to sin. And listen, all of us have been there where we feel like God loves us more on our good days and he loves us less on our bad days, right? All of us have been there. Things going well, God must love me. Things going bad, what did I do? And, and I would argue at the core of that is a failure to understand the therefore of Romans 8.1. Listen, does God discipline those whom he loves? Absolutely. But he doesn't love you more on your best day and love you less on your less day. 
He loves you in Christ. That's settled. And the point Paul is making is therefore, understand the therefore. Absolute new realm is what he's going to get to. And that's why that's what he means. The next word is now. Therefore, there is now. When, when you tell your kids, do this now, what do you mean? You mean now. Like, not when you get around to it, not when you want to, not when you think about it. Hey, if you get a moment sometime in the next few weeks, can you get around to cleaning your room? No, do it now. And, and, and again, think about, think about what the word now means. When I say you are now a part of this organization, what does that imply about what you used to be not a part of the organization? Right? When I say you're now a part of something, that by the very nature implies that you weren't always a part of that something, right? So grasp, grasp what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying there's a whole new realm in which you exist as a believer, and it is a realm in which you did not naturally exist. In your sin, prior to belief in Christ, you, you, you didn't exist in this realm. And again, this is where, again, the gospel is very divisive. This is, we're, 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 we're getting to the narrow road here. Paul's talking about the narrow road. All roads don't lead to the same destination. All, all religions of the world are not equal, and they all get you to God just in different ways. That's a lie. And, and again, but also what Paul is saying is, this is something that exists, and the benefits exist now. We, we have this idea that, that salvation is just some futuristic thing and, and we just got to muddle along and get, get by until he offers us. No, no. John 17, 3 says, This is eternal life, that you may know the one true God and Jesus Christ whom he exists. For you, believer, the relationship with God exists now. Now. now these are present. This is a present realm in which you dwell. This is a present relationship in which you can enjoy now. It's not something way out in the future. Believer, you've got to see yourself existing as a child of God right now. And again, believers exist. We've seen it in a new realm. Even if we saw it in our study of Colossians, I think it's one 12 or verse 13, he has transferred you out of the domain of darkness into the marvelous kingdom of light. Now. You, know, I, you think about the, the adoptions and all the families in here that have, that have adopted. That is a, an immediate now. There is a change of realm that, that that child exists in, and it exists now. You, believer, have been adopted. And but don't what what Paul is saying is too is in in the midst of this now think about the amazement of that statement because think back to what we saw about ourselves in chapters one through three apart from Christ. Think think about the if you don't grasp and agree with what we saw about ourselves in one three you will never grasp the greatness of what Paul is saying here. Who, who was it that God sent his son to die in the place of, to pay the penalty of their sin, to be the substitute for, the propitiator of, the redeemer of, the adopter of? Don't grasp that. Total change. I mean, think about it. Think about this. You know, you, just as a, a matter of review, and I think what Paul is doing in, in chapter 8 is, is bringing all these things to conclusion, but... But as a way of reminder, you know, we deserved condemnation. And think about that. You go back to 118. Think about all the times in your life that you've suppressed the truth and unrighteousness, that you've denied the reality and sovereignty of God in order to do whatever you wanted to do. Think, think about in 121, all the times that you have not honored God as you should. Think about all the time that you were not thankful as you should. 
Think about chapter 1, verse 23. Think about all the time you worshiped God's creator over him, God's creation over him as the creator. Think about all the times that you exchanged his glory for that which was lesser, even your own glory. Listen to 129 and 32. Think about all the times we've fallen short here, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, gossip, slanders, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil. Listen to this one, disobedient parents. Think about all the times, look back to your childhood. Think about all the times you disobeyed your parents. Children in the room today who still under the, live under the roof of their parents. Think about all the times you disobeyed your parents. Without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. Listen, although they knew the ordinance of God that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but they give hearty approval of those who practice them. Think about chapter 2, verse 1, how many times you've judged others while you yourselves committed the same sins. Think about 2, 4, all the time that you've taken God's kindness and his tolerance for granted as a license to sin. Think about chapter 3, verse 10, the fact that Paul says that there are none righteous, not even one. 3.11, think about the fact that all the times that you did not seek after God and actually ran the other direction. Think about 3.12, all the times you've turned aside from God and how many times we've done that which was not good in favor of what we wanted to do and it offended God. Things that were not edifying, not wholesome, not good, deceptive. I want you to think for a moment, even there in 3.13, their throat is an open grave, their tongues, they keep deceiving. Think about how many unwholesome words have ever proceeded out of your mouth. Which, by the way, Matthew and the Gospel of Matthew says we'll give an account for every unwholesome word that's ever proceeded out of our mouth. Think, think about all the times we didn't rejoice when someone rejoiced and we didn't weep when someone weeped. Matter of fact, we did the opposite. Think, think about 3, 15 through 17, all the times that we haven't sought peace as we should, that we haven't fought for peace, that we haven't made peace, that we haven't defended those who God has called us to defend for our own, because of our own agenda. 3.18, think about all the times that we haven't feared God, that we feared man over God. Why? So that we could pursue our own agenda and sin. Think about what we just saw in Romans 7, how many times we've done what we, didn't, what we shouldn't have and didn't do what we should have. That's, that's who Christ died for. That's us before the now. That's the realm in which we existed apart from Christ. That's why, listen, that's why, and, and, and again, we love John 3.16, great verse. Keep reading in the chapter. What we've got to grasp is this. Verse 36 of that same chapter, it says this. He who believes in the Son has eternal life. But he who, listen, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life. Listen, but the wrath of God abides on him. Current. Why? Because of everything I just said. Do you, see, do you see what God is saving us from? We saw it in Romans 5, verses 8 through 10. He's, he's demonstrating his love for enemies. He's demonstrating his love for children of wrath. And what he's doing in salvation is he's saving us from the wrath that rightly is due us because of our sin. And that Paul in Romans 8 says, now that's not going to happen. Think about that. Think about the debt. Now, it's gone. Just like that, gone. 
In spite of everything that we saw about ourselves, knowing that our sin makes us incapable of really grasping how sinful we are, and I think that's why Paul lays it out there, that God's wrath, we saw it, justifiably rests upon us do our sin, that death is deserved because we are children of wrath, we sin, and yet Paul says, for everyone who is in Christ, because of the gospel, all of that sin, every single one of them have been propitiated, have been set aside in Christ Jesus have been satisfactorily, the debt due all your sin, all my sin, has been satisfactorily paid via Christ. And the result, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? No longer a slave. And this is a current realm in which you, a current realm in which you live, a current realm in which you've, you've got to let the gospel flow over your life and over your mind and see yourself that way. There is something new that God has offered, and it is here now. It is presently operating and available. And the reality we've got to grasp and and. and Nobody, you know, in this world, I was telling Karen, I was reading an article, and John had sent me an article, and I was reading, and I was telling Karen again, I was like, nothing is sin. We live in a world where nothing is viewed as sin. My question is, why did Jesus die if there's no sin? Nothing is a sin anymore. And yet in the gospel, Paul says, no, no, there's sin. And I mean, it gets worse. That sin actually makes you a child of wrath. You currently have the wrath of God resting upon you. Do your sin. Why? Because God is holy and righteous and perfect and pure, and he is too pure to look upon anything evil. And so until that evil in our life is set apart, he will not look on you with favor as a child. And yet, the good news, that's the bad news. The good news is he's made a way for that sin to be rightly set apart again. And again, that's where propitiation comes in. It wasn't as if God just said, well, let's act like that didn't happen. No, he paid for it. It would be like Raymond owing me $10 million, and, and the expiation would be, Raymond, let's just act like you don't know that. See, but that's a different forgiveness than if I said, no, let me write the check. Let me settle the debt personally. Right? That's different. It's different acting like something didn't happen, totally different than paying for it so that it can be settled. Like, right, the bank says, oh, Chris, well, let's act like your mortgage doesn't exist. Okay, that's great. But it's another thing if, if, if Raymond, in this case, paid for my mortgage so that the bank could rightly act like it didn't exist, right? That's totally different forgiveness. That's the gospel. God didn't just, let's just act like y'all didn't sin. I mean, this is what we saw in Romans 3, what the conclusion. We know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes knowledge of sin. We're sinners. And we're guilty. And yet Paul has the audacity here, if you will, to say there is now no condemnation. God's righteousness demands that he condemns sinners. His wrath sits on you apart from Christ, and yet God has rightly set aside that wrath. Now. New realm. And what is that new realm? It's the next statement on your notes. No condemnation. That's the new realm in which you and I exist. No condemnation God has done for us what we could not do for ourselves he has dealt with our sin once and for all and and that takes us back to Romans 3 21 through 26 but now apart from the law the righteousness of God his own righteousness has been manifested being witnessed by the law and the prophets even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe for there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's all of us. Being justified, here it is, as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, 
whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation. That word means satisfactory payment in his blood through faith. Why? This was to demonstrate God's righteousness, his righteousness, because in the forbearance of God, he passed over sins previously committed. What, what is he saying there? He's like, in the Old Testament, all those individuals who offered those animals in faith, God set their sin aside, knowing that one day he would offer Christ to fully satisfy that debt. And God's right, in God's righteousness, you know what he did? He one day went back and settled the debt. Please hear that. He didn't just act like, oh, I forgot about that. Or let's just have one Old Testament gospel and one New Testament gospel. No, he went back and satisfied all the sin debt. Why? Because Hebrew tells us the blood of bulls and goats don't satisfy sin. It just was in faith setting it aside that one day God would provide the lamb who would satisfy sin once and for all. And he did that. And as a demonstration that he's righteous. For the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. Why can Paul say there is now for, there is therefore, therefore there is now no condemnation because of the sufficiency of Christ? And you see it on your handout. In the face of the justified wrath of God because of our sin... Paul can say in Romans 8, 1, solely because of the sufficiency of the gospel and the work of Christ, there is now no condemnation. And again, you, you go back to Colossians 2, it talks about our sin being nailed to the cross, the debt being canceled, paid. All of that was due the work of God. There was nothing about that about our doing. And the goal, why? The goal is security. The goal is then growing up in Christ. Living, we can lay aside everything that encumbers us and chase after Christ. Why? Because the debt has been satisfied. We are fully united to God through Christ. Fully adopted. We're, we, we are, my relationship to God through Christ is assured as the children you've adopted. And the children that you've adopted and you've adopted as fully assured. That's the picture. We, we now stand, let, believer, let that rest on you. Listen, are, are, are there good days when your adopted daughter doesn't, doesn't behave? Yeah, absolutely. Are there bad days? There are, but she's still your daughter. And then there are some days where she's good. She's still your daughter. Why? Because of what you chose to do. On my best day and my worst day, listen, there's no condemnation because of what God did on my behalf. I can rest assured. I'm not up here performing, trying to keep his pleasure. I, have, I forever stand forgiven, adopted, redeemed, sanctified, propitiated, declared righteous. Forever. Why? Because of the sufficiency of the gospel. And you see it on your handout, grasp this. Through the gospel, God has made a way for death to be replaced by life. Condemnation replaced with adoption. No righteousness replaced with righteousness. That's what no condemnation means. The penalty of my sin does not rest upon me any longer. Why? Because Jesus Christ sufficiently and satisfactorily paid the debt. And God applies that to believers through faith. Right? And what, what, what that means for you, believer, is this. There is a new verdict that rests over your life. Not guilty has been replaced forever with not guilty. Right? That's what the gospel says. Guilty has been replaced with not guilty. I mean, let that sink in. And that verdict is permanent. 
You see it on your handout. What Paul means when he says no condemnation is that God will never condemn us to an eternity separate from himself. Never. As a believer. Feel the weight of security and the assurance. What came to us through Adam, namely death, has been replaced in Christ with life. Condemnation will never, ever, ever be a threat to those who are believers in Jesus Christ. Never. Why? Because Jesus' work will ever be sufficient. You see that in 1 John 2. I, dear children, I write these things to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, guess what he says? We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. What does an advocate do? An advocate is somebody who speaks on behalf of another. Would God desire? Would that be his desire for us not to sin? 100%. But when you do sin, Jesus Christ speaks on your behalf and says, you know what, I paid for that one. Hey, I covered that one. I, I pray that we would let this flow over us. This is huge for now. Listen, your standing before God is secure because of Christ. I mean, we, we talk about, we, Karen and I say this to our kids all the time. Do, you listen, we want them to do well in school. But they're not less our children if they don't do well in school. Might there be consequences depending on maybe they played too much of this or maybe they, maybe they were responsible for, for, the, for the bad grades and there might be discipline involved. Why? Because we love them. And by the way, Hebrews 12 says God too disciplines those whom he loves. But maybe there were other circumstances that were total, out of their control in the reason. Listen, they're still our child. I mean, we were having this conversation the other day. If you ask our daughter, where do you want to eat? She will always say Outback. I'm like, Karen, Sarah, that's not happening. And so I was joking um, the other day, and she said that. And I said, Sarah Grace, if you and Bradley both make straight A's this nine weeks, we'll go to Outback. That ain't happening. And I, that's why I said it. And, of course, you know, Karen jumps in. Now, they don't have to get straight. You know, merciful Karen jumps in. I'm like, Karen, I'm I'm joking. I did that to make a point, and I went on to explain to them exactly this. Listen, your standing before us as your, our children does not, is not dependent on you getting straight A's. Do we want you to do well in school? Yeah. Might there be a fellowship issue if you fool around and don't? Yeah. But there won't be a relational issue. Does sin create a fellowship issue with God between him and his children? 100%. See John 1. But not a standing issue. And, and again, what Paul is saying here is by no means an invitation to go live like fools. When, when, I, when I went and met with Karen's parents and I asked them if I could marry her, I told them, I said, listen, here's my, belief, here's my biblical beliefs on divorce. Listen, to the best of my ability, no matter what, I'm not going there. Listen, Karen could respond to that in two ways. She could go live like however she wants to live and say, he ain't going nowhere. Or she could take that as invitation to, an invitation to try to be the best, husband, best wife she could be, right? This is an invitation for you and I to go take great risks and to live by faith and go live for the glory of God, knowing that when you mess up, you're not condemned. When you fail, you're not condemned. This is a freedom to go do what God has called you to do, knowing the one thing you and I, believer, don't have to worry about is His love. Our standing. And you know what? When you have an accident and you have to have your leg amputated below the knee at 19, the one thing you cannot believe is that God has condemned you. No matter the circumstance, all of God's actions towards you, believer, is mercy and grace. And listen, it is only mercy and grace. It's not a mixture. Hear me. This is important. 
It's not as though, believers, some days he's against you with wrath, and those are bad days, and other days he's for you with love, and those are good days. That is not the way God operates. It may seem that way in our flesh. And listen, if we're honest, all of us have fallen prey to thinking that way. But this is why we need Romans 8.1. Listen, the world, we're going to get to it in, in verses uh, 19 and following. This world is not what it will be one day. It is not as God designed. Sin has messed it up. And we need to understand that. But we're in the midst of all of that, you see it on your handout, we need to understand that God is always for you, believer. Even in his discipline, he's for you. And that's what Paul says. We'll get to it in 8.18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed in us. No matter what you face, believer, listen to me. No condemnation. And, and as glorious a truth as this is, it does not apply to everyone automatically. This is not, Paul is not preaching universalism. And, and again, this is where people, people get sideways. You start talking about an exclusive gospel. Unfortunately, the Bible is an exclusive gospel because what does he say? Who does this blessing belong to? Those who are in Christ. That's the last phrase, in Christ. This is a narrow road. This is an exclusive position. Listen, it excludes every single religion that does not singularly rest on the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. Not Christ plus man, not Christ plus something else. No, no. If it does not singularly, wholly rest upon Jesus Christ, it's excluded. And you see it on your handout. The therefore now no condemnation only applies to those who are trusting Jesus Christ alone for their righteousness and their standing before God. You say, why, Chris? Because we have to have our sin and its penalty dealt with. And only Christ has done this sufficiently and satisfactorily and eternally. There's no other way for our sin to be dealt with, for God's righteousness to be upheld and for our sin to be dealt with. That's why it says in Romans chapter 3 at the end, verse 26, so that God, would, why is the gospel this way? So that God would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Christ. That word is the same word as righteousness. Why the gospel this way? So that God will be proven to be righteous and so that he can rightly declare you and I righteous. And the reason we will not face condemnation due to our sin is not that you and I have been forgiven, which we have, hang with me, but because we are in Christ. In Christ. The Savior has suffered the consequences of our sin as our substitute. Christ will never be condemned. Therefore, those whom he represents will never be condemned. Grasp this. In order, in order for God to condemn you, believer, he would have to condemn his son. Think about that. He'd have to condemn Christ. And that's not happening. And you see it in your handout. We are eternally secure because of faith, the, the gospel. Because we are in Christ. See yourself that way, believer. But, but that also sets the stage for sanctification and why we hate our sin and why we fight our sin and why we don't take sin lightly in spite of the freedom uh, from the law and all that. that. The context here, and Paul is moving in this direction of sanctification, but it's because our standing with Christ is secure. And, and again, not, not to offend here, not, but, but if Paul was ever... Notice what, the, the reason why I stress the Spirit here, not only the fulfillment of the Old Testament, but the question becomes, okay, now I'm saved, now what? If Paul, it would have been a very easy thing for Paul to now insert the law. Okay, now you go back to following the law. Notice he doesn't do that. 
What does he say? Walk by the Spirit. Again, the law was not a means of our justification. It's not a means of our sanctification. The Mosaic law. It never, never mentions it. In fact, he goes farther to stress the Spirit. Why? Because that is the fulfillment of the new covenant. That is part of the now. There is a new covenant. Again, God gave us the Spirit that we would walk in His ways. That we'd be guided by, namely, God Himself in us. Again, Christ in us, the hope of glory. You see it on your handout. Therefore, it's the Spirit we're obligated to and led by but which also offers us assurance. No mention of the law, even for our sanctification. If Paul was going there, this would have been the perfect place, and he doesn't go there. Now that you're saved, go to the law. Nope, doesn't do it. it. But it's not that we're lawless. You see, we're led by the Spirit. We're controlled by the Spirit, Ephesians 5.18 says. You, you, you could go into a whole sermon on, how does that look, Chris? It looks like you being full of the Word, Colossians 3.16, the Word of God richly dwelling in you, Ephesians 5.18, being full, that's, that's the same thing. How does God lead us? By the word of God richly dwelling in us. Not external law. We want to. That's what Paul is going to get to down here. So then, we're under obligation, not to the flesh, but to the Spirit. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Led. We're not boundless. We're not lawless, if you will. It's not come to Christ and then live however you want to live. No, you live according to the Spirit and to the Spirit. And what was the Spirit's job? To glorify Christ. We live to the glory of Christ in everything we do. That's the call. Not about food and drink and days and months. Colossians 2 says those are mere shadows of things to come. And the substance is Christ. Christ. I mean, think about it. if my wife was standing here and, and, and the sun was there and shining this way and I'm oohing and aahing over her shadow. You'd say, Chris, that's crazy. She's standing right there. Exactly. We have Christ. He's the fullness of all that it was pointing to. It's Christ. Make much of Christ. And you see it on your hand now. We take our stand daily in the assured truth that through the gospel, being in Christ and led by the Spirit, there's no condemnation. The more we look to Christ, the more we savor Christ, the more we will grasp and feel secure. The more we'll grasp what he's saying here, and we will feel secure. Daily stand on this truth because of the sufficiency of Christ. Daily come to Christ. Daily see yourselves as filling up on the Word so that what? You can be led by the Spirit. I mean, this is what we'll get to eventually in Romans 12. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Again, this salvation that he's offered, it's more than a one-time prayer. This is a daily communion and fellowship, a daily faith and trust. It's a rescue from the condemnation due your sins. It's a rescue from the wrath of God due your sins. Our mission, again, is leading people to the one true source of eternal life. It is not primarily social justices. May we use those? Yeah. But our mission is the gospel. Our, our mission is introducing people to the one true source of salvation, the one true source that they can be freed from the condemnation, do their sins, and the wrath of God, do their sins. Why? Because of the sufficiency of Christ. And you see there, through faith in Christ, our condemnation is replaced with permanent adoption. And he says here, this is now, finally, fully a reality. No condemnation. Why? Because God didn't just remove the debt, he paid the debt. No matter what happens to you, believer, from here on out, condemnation is not a threat. You see it there on your hand now. The work of Jesus Christ through the gospel is our only hope. It Christianity is daily living in light of this hope through faith. Again, we'll see it in Romans 8 later on. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes what he already sees? 
But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we eagerly wait for it. Do you see the essence of Christian life? The Christian life is clinging to Christ no matter what comes because He is your only source of righteousness. That's the essence of Christianity. And listen, there, there's, I look around this room and even as I preach this, my mind goes to, to people whose children are hurting and family members are hurting. Listen, we're not immune to the effects of this world, but in the effects of this world, we have this hope. They will never separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Amen? That's the hope. And it's daily seeing Christ as our only source of righteousness. That's why the God, when they said, Jesus said to the apostles, are you going to turn away too? They said, who would we turn to? For you alone, Jesus, had the words of eternal life. And in the midst of the cancer and the death and the, the leg amputations and the sickness and all this stuff, here's where the gospel shines. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. That's the hope. That, that's why Romans 8 is so powerful that Paul is saying it's not that we're immune to this stuff. We're, what we're immune to is the effects of it in the sense of it will never separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. That's why Jesus said, if you, whoever comes to me, I will never, ever cast out. And listen, if you don't come to Jesus, we saw it in John 3, 36. The wrath of God currently and forever will rest upon you, do your sin. And yet if you come to him, through faith, he'll cancel that debt just like that. Adopt you just like that. Even now. Listen, you could walk out of here today through faith in Christ, and say this, therefore there is now, September 8th, from here on out, no condemnation, because I am in Christ. And if you are in Christ, live in that. Every day, live in light of that. Seek, walk in faith, confidently knowing that you're not condemned no matter what you will, no matter what you might have, no matter, no matter what you are facing, you are not condemned. Listen, not marriage problems, not health problems, not family problems, not even death. Nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Amen?